This week and next week, we'll be read, reading through the book of Ruth, but we'll be reading it slightly differently. I'm Martin, and I'm going to be reading the words of the author and Boaz. Margaret will read the words of Naomi, and Catherine, those of Ruth. So let's hear from the word of God, starting at chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephathrites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem 
as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working at a in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord is with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. My Lord, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks from her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the eve field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Ruth, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived there with her mother-in-law. 
Hello everyone, great to be back with you. And today we start a new series where we're looking at one of the great love stories of the Old Testament. And we're looking at the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is this incredible narrative which revolves around three key characters. There's Naomi, who we're gonna meet, there's Ruth, and there's also Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. And there's lots of great stuff in the book. There's lots of great verses in the book. And a very simple reading of it, you might think, well, Ruth meets Boaz, they fall in love, they get married, they have a child, they live happily ever after. You know, it's one of the great romantic stories of the um, Old Testament or the Bible that you could be reading here. Um, the question is, is that really what Ruth's about? Um, is this the pride and prejudice of the ancient world where Boaz is the Mr. Darcy and Ruth is the Elizabeth Bennet in Bethlehem? Is it the when Ruth meets Boaz story, the Harry and Sally of the ancient world? Well, I hate to disappoint the romantics amongst us, but one of the things you'll notice as you read through this, if you look carefully at the text is, uh, there's actually not one hint or detail of romance or affection in the entire book when it comes to this relationship between Ruth and Boaz that we will read about. It's rather a story that's actually all about the kindness of God and the power of kindness. And there is a love story, but it's not one that you might think on first reading. And so if you've got your Bibles there, do open up and we're gonna look at Ruth chapters one and two today. And then next week, Andrew's gonna come back and look at chapters three and four. And in the run into Christmas, we're gonna be encouraged, I think, by this incredible book, which is written in the Old Testament. But let me just start with a, a few introductory comments to help us kind of set the scene for where this book fits. Firstly, history. When you look at verse one of chapter one, it says this, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And there's a lot of key information there that kind of sets the scene for the book of Ruth. Uh, it's set at the time of judges. This is not a fairy tale, it's not a parable. It's a real story of real people in a real time in history. It's the time of the judges. And it's worth noting that um, the time of the judges was a very difficult and horrible period in the people of God's history. In fact, I can't think of a darker book in all of the Old Testament than that of Judges. And if you go back just a couple of chapters to chapter 19, I think it's one of the worst chapters in terms of the evil you see described there amongst the people of God anywhere in scripture. And that's the setting for this book of Ruth. There's a darkness at the background. Secondly, there's unbelief. Have a look at the end of verse one. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, we don't even get his name at this point, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, when you read that today, it kind of just flows off the tongue, okay? They think it's a good idea. There's a lack of food in our country. We're gonna to move to another country where hopefully we're gonna get fed. But I love what one writer said, Christopher Ash, for those familiar with him, in reflecting on that statement. He said, it's really like as if a man left the church and said, I'm gonna go and live with ISIS. Now, I'm not being too extreme in saying this. Moab was a country that were the enemies of the people of God and they had done terrible things to the people of God. And you only have to go back to Judges chapter three, about 18 chapters before this, 
And Eglon the king rules over them and oppresses them for 18 years. And yet here is this man about to leave the promised land and move to this foreign land that literally contained some of the enemies of God. And he takes himself and he takes his family and he literally is turning his back on not just the land, but his God. And so unbelief is also the second thing you see at the start of this story. It's a story in history, but it starts with unbelief. But thirdly, there's a great sense of emptiness. And what follows now in verses three through to five is just this description of what takes place. It's brief, but it's powerful. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about 10 years, both Mahlon and Kilion also died. They are the husbands of Orpah and Ruth. And they were the sons of Elimelech and the sons of Naomi. And Naomi, we are told, was left without her two sons and her husband. And so what we find here is that Elimelech, the husband, the one who had taken them away from the promised land, he is now dead. His two sons are dead. There's a sense of which judgment has fallen on this family. And all that are left are the women, and they are alone by themselves. And Naomi, who is an Israelite, has her two daughter-in-laws who are Moabites. And this is how the story starts. It's with a great sense of tragedy. There's a heaviness to it. And Naomi is now in this foreign land, literally alone. And she's empty. And we're going to have a look through chapters one and two and just see what we learn from them. And there's two key things I want to bring out. Firstly, is the whole theme of repentance. And secondly, that of kindness. Well, let's have a look at firstly, chapter one and verse six. And verse seven, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And so Naomi has made the decision she needs to return back because she's heard God has started to bless the land of Israel. There is food there. And so verse seven, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah from where they'd come. And what we discover in these verses is that God is now acting to not judge the land of Israel. And famine typically was a response by God to judge the people. But there's a sense of which blessing has now come, food is now available, and Naomi wants to turn back. And she'll return to Israel and 12 times in this first chapter, the word return or turn back is used. And it really is the theme of this chapter, the whole sense of turning back. And literally the turning back to the country is symbolic of spiritually Naomi turning back to God. And to turn back is really a theological word for repentance. And repentance is probably one of the most basic concepts in the Bible 
that God calls us to do. He calls us to turn back to him, to repent. And the word literally means to change your mind. And it means this sense of turning around. And this is exactly what Naomi does. She changes her mind and determines that she'll now return to Israel. She had gone with her husband Elimelech and to some extent you might say, well, that is his decision. But you'll see when she confesses um, the reality of the situation that she too had been a part of it. And so let me read from verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, i.e. return. Each of you to your mother's homes. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And the thing you notice here is just this incredible graciousness about Naomi. Though she's lost her husband, though she's lost her two sons. And there's a real sense of which she would have needed the help of her two daughter-in-laws. She's very gracious. She says, actually, you go home to your country. And she was prepared to journey alone to her home in Judah at a time that would have been very, very dangerous for a single woman. And we know that from the previous chapters in Judges. And so verse 9 finishes this way. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. And they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? And you see, Naomi is just thinking about the daughter-in-laws. I can't help you. Return home, my daughters, verse 12. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And the reality of Naomi's situation is very real and it's very raw to her. And she's very honest here. She says, actually, it is God who has turned against me. And what she's saying to her daughters is, you don't need to be part and parcel of this. You can go home. And she's also saying, I can't give you a husband. So go back to your people and start again. Verse 14, at this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And this is where we really see who Ruth is and what she's like. She doesn't want to leave Naomi. It is stunning. I mean, for all intensive purposes, she had the right because Ruth had said uh, because Naomi had said so to go back to her people. And she says, no, I will stay with you. Verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to your people and her gods. Go back with her. But listen to what Ruth says. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And it's really this moment, you could say, of conversion where she's nailing her colours to the mast saying, actually... I'm with you and I'm not just with you, I'm with your people and I'm not just with your people. Actually, I'm going to trust in your God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. 
When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. There is a very significant love story in the book of Ruth. It's not really about Ruth and Boaz, who we'll meet soon. It's actually about Ruth's love for her mother-in-law. And the kindness she shows her. Ruth had no need to return with Naomi, but she chose to. Out of this deep sense of affection and dedication to the one who had become her mother-in-law. I often think of uh, mother-in-law jokes. And uh, I've told this one once before, quite a few years back. Um, I don't know if you know what the definition of conflicted emotions is. But one is when you see your mother-in-law drive your new car off the cliff. Now, let me just say, I have a wonderful mother-in-law. And Elizabeth, if you're listening, that is not how I feel about yourself. And that is definitely not what Ruth thinks about her mother-in-law. But I know some have mother-in-laws that they do find just slightly difficult. But that is not Ruth. And so we read on. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Just think about what Naomi says here. There's this incredible privilege we have into the inner workings of her heart. And what she does is give this incredibly profound, honest, raw, and real confession of her sin. And it's public. It's to the people of her town. And in the flesh, publicly before all of them, she's repenting. Confessing her sins and the way she has turned around. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And it's an admission that it wasn't just Elimelech, her husband, who went away and she dutifully followed along. She went too and she thought this would be the promised land. But the reality is she left the promised land. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. And so stop and think with me about this whole theme of repentance that you see here in chapter one of Naomi who leaves looking for life, but has to return literally with her tail between her legs, empty and bitter, call me Mara, not Naomi. God is sovereignly in control of all of our lives and nothing happens outside of his will. And when we stray from him, he will sometimes allow us to go through tough times. It's not automatic. I mean, some of the tough times we go through are just the nature of living in this world where sin rules and where bad things happen. But we also know in scripture, and Hebrews talks about it, this, that God will put us through tough times to discipline us. And it's always with a view to bring us back to himself, to cause us to repent. And that's exactly what happens here with Naomi. I went away full, but the Lord 
brought me back empty. She knows that what has happened has been under God's sovereign control and God has brought her back. There's no accident about this. And the thing I've observed pastorally in people's lives is it often takes great calamity or when lives hit rock bottom for people to get honest and raw and real about where they stand before God and to actually confess their sin and their need for him. And that's what you see here with Naomi. She gets to that point of brokenness and emptiness. And at that point, she confesses and turns back to the living God. And you might be empty here today. You might be going through very difficult times. And I would say, is God calling you to repent and to turn your life back to him and to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and start living for him and not for yourselves? Because if you are, come to him. Because he will fill you up as you confess your sins and turn to him and find forgiveness and hope in him. Well, that's the first thing we see in chapter one, repentance. Let's think about chapter two, because this theme of kindness jumps off the page. And the story of Ruth in so many ways is a book that's all about kindness. And you've seen part of it here already in the way Ruth has clung to Naomi out of her love for her, her kindness towards her. And as I said at the beginning, Ruth is not a love story about a girl meeting a guy, but it's a profound love story of kindness of a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Let me read from chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And here we meet the third main character of this book of Ruth. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And so you see a very important detail here. Um, she's now in one of her mother-in-law's relatives' fields. And this will play out significantly in chapters three and four. But I'll let Andrew explain that next week. Verse four, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. And Boaz is obviously a significant man of wealth. He controls this patch of the world. He's got his land. It's being worked by the workers. Uh, he would have been older. The Lord bless you, the workers answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? And you see here, Boaz is an older man. Ruth is a younger woman. There's no sense of detail about whether she's tall, short, thin, um, not so thin, attractive, not so attractive. It's just a pragmatic description. Who is this younger woman? And so we meet Boaz. And what we'll find is that this is a man of incredible character at a time when there were very few good men on the ground in Israel. And he's a man of great kindness and integrity. And Boaz wants to know, who is this woman? And it's not for evil purposes. Verse six, the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who, comes back, who came back from Moab with Naomi. And so Boaz would have registered that because he would have known of Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, 
listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. And listen to what he says. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. And you see this incredible integrity and care that the older man Boaz has for the younger, vulnerable, single woman Ruth. There's not even a hint of impropriety here, but rather just a generous caring for a young, vulnerable woman. And in that time of the judges, that was a very rare commodity. And he finishes with these words in verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And you see, Boaz is not just a good man. He is a godly man who wants to not just care physically for Naomi, but for Ruth, but wants to bring her under the care of the living God himself. He is so caring. He is so kind. He is so honourable. I'll jump ahead to verse 17 and you see the response. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she stretched the barley she had gathered and it mounted to an ephath. And if I can just put that simply, it was a lot because of the generosity of how Boaz had organised things. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she'd left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I work for today is Boaz, she said. Oh, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to, his daughter-in-law, to her daughter-in-law. He has, not shopped, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. And we'll hear all about that next week from Andrew. But I want to stop now and just reflect on what we've seen here because chapter two is this extraordinary act of kindness and integrity that is shown by Boaz to Ruth. And what we saw in chapter one is Ruth has shown this incredible integrity and kindness in the way she clung to Naomi and stayed with her so that she could look after her. And this theme of kindness just runs through the book, the way these people care for each other, having come out of the very difficult situation of losing all their husbands. And they trust in God. And the reason why I think it's so astounding is when you think about where Ruth is nestled in the Old Testament. It's placed literally between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel. And in the book of Judges, there are famous people that we know There's Gideon, the famous warrior. There is Samson, the one who had the incredible strength. And then you go to the book of Samuel and you've got Samuel, the famous prophet. You've got Saul, the, if I can say, conflicted king. You've got David, the young anointed one. And these are all famous names in biblical history. But what you have here in Ruth are ordinary people. Naomi, this woman who had left the promised land, hoping to find life, 
and then with a brokenness returns. Ruth, a foreigner, a Moabite, who is now attaching herself to her. And Boaz, who is just this man of upright, godly integrity. They're normal people. They're not great leaders of the country. And secondly, it's not just, there's the, the, it's not just that there's not famous people here. There's no real miracles in this story. And it's interesting, when you look at the book of Judges, which precedes it, there's some incredible miracles there, the way Gideon defeats the enemy armies. Samson, with his divinely given strength. And then you go to the book of Samuel and some of the incredible miracles you see there, and you just think of David versus Goliath. But what you see in Ruth is not miraculous at all. And you see, God is not just at work when miracles are happening. God is also at work when they're not. And in salvation history, there are periods of miracles that occur. And there's some great periods where some great miracles occur, but there's also periods where there aren't miracles. But here's the thing, God is still working. And what we see in Ruth is that God works out his plans and purposes through the very simple and human concept of kindness. In fact, God's activity is only mentioned twice in this whole book. At the very beginning, when the famine lifts, in chapter 1, verse 6, and then at the very end, when a child is conceived. But apart from that, you don't hear anything in terms of the activity of God intervening miraculously. The story is all about the way God works through the kindness of his people. And I want you to stop and think about this as we close. I think we often want God to work in spectacular ways. I mean, who doesn't want to see a miracle? But there's no miracle here. What you have is just humble, ordinary kindness being expressed. And what is profound is when you get to the end of this story, and I'll just give you a little spoiler alert, this kindness will lead to a family being established through which the saviour of the world comes. And if you're here today listening and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to see God at work, amen, I say. Well, Ruth says, go out and be kind to people because through the kindness of your actions, God will work powerfully. And just think about it. The saviour we follow wasn't he just like this? He came with no big fanfare, born in absolute humility in a stable, and he lived in a family of very ordinary people, Mary and Joseph. And yes, he did incredible miracles and acts of power, but there was another side to his ministry where he just showed consistent, gracious kindness to all those around him. And friends, we are called to walk in his footsteps and to be like Jesus. And part of that is going to mean simply being kind to those around us because God will work through your acts of kindness to help restore people, to help care for people, and to help people go forward in their Christian faith.
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you love us and we thank you, Lord, that you give us opportunities every day to express kindness to those around us. May we see that through acts of kindness, you can work powerfully in and through us to touch and change and transform lives. For Jesus' sake, amen.